morning. Can everyone, can everyone hear me? Hear me through the mic and everything? Good. Good. Um, this morning our passage is going to be from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. So if there's someone in the back that could grab some of those Bibles, um, that back there. Thanks, Sally. In those Bibles, it'll be on pages 632 and 633. So make sure to put your hand up if you need a Bible. Put it up if you need one. All ones. All right. Let's stand as we read from God's Word. Galatians 5, 1 through 15. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for this time to come together, to hear your word, to be transformed, God. We ask, God, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts. Lord, would you use my mouth, Lord, to speak your words, Lord. And may anything that is coming just from me, Lord, and not from you fall away. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Okay, welcome again. Um, it's good to see all of you. Again, my name is Alex. I'm a seminary student up on the north side uh, at North Park University. This is my third year of seminary, so I'm getting close <laughs> to finishing up. Um, and something about this passage that is kind of hard for me is that this is actually a really hard passage for me to preach on. And the reason why is because when I was in seminary, a couple of years ago, I had to take my last Greek class, and this is the passage that we wrote about. So I had to write 32 pages. 
about this passage. Just 15 verses, had to write 32 pages about this thing. Me and my friends, we slaved over this paper, and we were just praying, God, would you get us through this? Get us to the promised land. Let us be done with this paper. We love your word, but this is torture. This is painful. And so for me, I look at this passage, and I cringe a little bit on the inside, even though this is a great passage. It's a passage of freedom and even though Paul gets a little angry somewhere in there, but there's a passage, this is a passage of freedom. And so we praise God for this passage. Amen? Amen. Amen. To give you a little context, Galatians 5 is the second to last uh, verse of, or chapter of this book that we've been in for about a month now. I've heard from Pastor James and Pastor Brad a little bit about um, what the Galatians have been going through. Um, the Galatians are uh, part of the church in Galatia, one of the first churches that Paul uh, preached to and planted as an apostle. And Paul is really upset because the Galatians, being one of the first churches that he planted, are now really confused. Somewhere along the way, they got thrown off track. Somebody came in, started saying some other stuff that wasn't from God, that wasn't from Paul. And now they're just kind of thrown for a loop. They don't know what they're doing. Um, they're, th they're thinking about, oh, maybe we should get circumcised in order to be with Jesus, in order to be in relationship with God. And so this whole book has been about Paul trying to let the Galatians know, no, you don't need that. It's just Jesus, just Jesus, just faith in Christ is good enough. You don't need anything else. And the question that's constantly being brought up is, are we justified by our faith? Are we made right with God by our faith? or by works of the law. And the Galatians are children of God, and Paul is simply saying, live in that freedom. You are children, you don't need to do anything else. Be God's children, be free in Christ. And so when we look at our passage in verse one of chapter five, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That first part is a little weird. It's kind of redundant, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense on its own. It's kind of like if, when I was proposing to Christina, my wife, if she asked me, oh, why, why do you want to marry me? And I said, hey, you know, I want to marry you. She was just looking at me like, what are, you, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Of course you want to marry me for marriage, but what else? What else is there? I'd probably be single right now. Um, but thankfully, <laughs> I said a little bit more, and Paul said a little bit more about what um, this freedom actually is. He talks a little bit more about what this freedom is later on in the passage, as well as what this yoke of slavery is. The yoke of slavery, to understand it, we can go back to chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. 
So Paul, in this passage, chapter 5, is continuing on in that same vein. He's telling them, you're not a slave anymore. Stop living like a slave. You are free, not a slave. You are uh, not in bondage anymore. He's letting them know you have a hope, and that hope is not in your works. That hope is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. That hope is in Christ alone, and you don't need to do anything else to add on to that. Yes, you're supposed to continue to do good works, but it's not for the sake of being saved. That's not the type of pressure that Christ is putting on us as believers. And a lot of Jewish people at the time would understand, a lot of people just in general would understand this idea of a yoke of slavery. You know, when you think about an oxen pulling a plow and pulling a plow to the plow the field and there's a yoke and that yoke could be heavy or it could be light. And so a lot of Jewish people would actually look at the law, the God's law, as a yoke that's actually lighter compared to the yoke that the world would offer. There's freedom, actually, that's associated with that law compared to the, you know, the laws and the yokes of the world. And so it's actually kind of ironic that Paul is having to say this, is having to tell them that you, know, you don't have to be suffering from a yoke of slavery under the law. These Judaizers, these people that have come telling these lies, have basically twisted the scriptures, have twisted the law in order for it to now become a source of bondage for the people rather than being a source of freedom. And so Paul is pretty pissed off. He's pretty angry uh, with these Judaizers. He's going to say some stuff later on that's a little harsh, I would think, but um, it just kind of brings to light just how serious this deception is. And so one of the things that we see is that communion with God brings freedom, not bondage. Can you say that with me? Communion with God brings freedom, not bondage. Paul sees people perverting what was good. And we see that even in you know, Matthew uh, 5, 17, Jesus himself said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So the issue isn't, oh, you know, the law just needs to go away. The law is bad. But it's how are people living under the law? How are people receiving the law? How are they understanding who God is based on their understanding of the law? Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, and now people are perverting it to attack the Galatians' freedom. And the Galatians are in a, a pretty dangerous place. In verse 2, Paul says, Tell, Paul says that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Why? Why would he say that? Because every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey, to obey the whole law. So basically, circumcision, in this, in this passage, Paul is saying, you know, when you get circumcised, when you seek to be justified in the law, you're opting into a kind of system of trying to be righteous and trying to be with God, in relationship with God. You're opting into a system of trying to fulfill all of the law. You don't just get circumcised as part of the law and now you're free. But by you being circumcised, you have to keep the entirety of the law. All of those sacrifices, all of the you know, cleanliness laws and all those things, you have to keep those in order to actually be right with God. But the problem is that's a dead end path. Because no one can actually keep the law all by themselves. Jesus did, but not, not many other people were able to do that on their own. 
the only way to actually be right with God is through Christ. And so Paul is pulling them back. And he says in verse 4, those who seek to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. They have fallen away from grace. He's letting them know that there's a huge danger here. That those people that are you know, seeking to be justified by the law and, are, and that are on this dead-end path, if they continue on that path, if they continue to seek this way of being right with God, it won't do anything for them. They would have walked away from the grace of God that's being offered through Christ, saying, you know, if you know, Christ died for you and all you have to do is put your faith in Christ. That's a gracious word. And if you're walking away from it, you are falling away from the grace of God. Amen. So Paul is talking about systems here. Some people would look at this passage and say, oh, falling away from grace, that means that by being circumcised, these Christians are losing their salvation. And again, I would say, I, would, I think Paul is talking more about systems more than talking about, you know, you. If you do X, Y, and Z, then you're not saved. Or you, if you do X, Y, and Z, you're not saved. He's talking about systems here. Walk towards the actual system. Walk towards the actual path to salvation. And that's through Christ. And walk away from trying to justify yourself through the law. And so, this passage... Um, is Paul essentially just calling the people back to their Redeemer. Jesus already has died. He paid all the price. You know, we're going to sing later on, Jesus paid it all. Um, it's true. Jesus paid it all for us. This is good news, amen? amen? This is good news that we don't have to worry about adding on in order to be secure in Christ, to be secure in our relationship with God. Paul is basically, you know, when I think about it, I'm a New Yorker at heart. I grew up in New York, was there for 18 years. Um, when I think about this, I think about Paul saying this in kind of a New York accent, like accent. So just kind of saying like, you guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? Come back to Christ. That's, I don't know, it's a weird kind of accent. I say on, I say some weird stuff. It's a weird accent, but he's basically saying, what are you doing? You gotta come back to Christ. This is the only way you can go. Come back, get away from that nonsense, and come back the right way. Amen. That was a good accent. Yeah. I still have it in me. All right. <laughs> um, and so that's what Paul is basically saying here. He's basically constantly urging them, come back, come back, come back to the way that I taught you, to the gospel that I taught you, and away from that gospel these other people are trying to teach you. And so there's something else that comes out in this passage. And basically, what I see is, um, in these Judaizers, in these people that are telling lies, we see that not everyone that's claiming to be from God is actually from God. Not everyone that's claiming to speak for God is actually speaking for God. Amen? And so, even for us today, especially for us today, with all the different things that we might hear and see and different ways that people might try and understand scripture and preach it based on their own human understandings, I think that we see the challenge to be vigilant, the challenge to be aware of, you know, does this agree with, you know, what the, the rest of the world is saying? Does this agree with um, 
Does this thing that's being preached agree with what God has said in all of the other parts of his word? And so we need to be vigilant so that we don't get confused like the Galatians were and deceived like the Galatians were. Continuing on in verses 11 through 12, Paul asks, if I am preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul um, was one of the greatest Jews of his time. He, he kind of boasts about it, about being, you know, top of, top of the line in terms of Judaism and being able to keep the law in some great ways that other people couldn't. And he was a Pharisee himself. And for Paul, if preaching circumcision as well as Jesus was an option, he definitely would have done that. That would have been easy, easy for him to do. It would have been second nature for him. I've been learning, he's been learning the law his whole life and be, been groomed to be able to live out this law. And so for him to now say, you all have to do the same thing, would have been second nature for him. But that's not what he's saying. But these Judaizers are claiming his authority, and they're saying, oh, well, you know, Paul, he didn't get to that part yet by the time he left you. He didn't get to that part of the gospel yet. They're actually putting on him, Paul said this, God is saying this, that you need to be Jews in order to walk with Christ. And so Paul eventually gets to some very strong words for these Judaizers. Paul, in the past, uh, parts of this letter has said that he wants these liars to be cursed. He said that they will pay the penalty. Um, and now he says that they should be emasculated, that they should emasculate themselves, actually. So I'm not going to go into too much detail with the kids in the room, but basically, if anyone knows about castration and cutting stuff off, it's basically circumcision, but going even further to cut everything else off. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but basically, it's a very uh, violent thing. I see some people getting uncomfortable, and you should be uncomfortable, <laughs> because it just shows just how... Uh, damaging this sin is and just how seriously Paul is taking this offense. You see, Paul, I don't think Paul was just saying, you know, the worst possible thing he could think of to say, uh, or the most painful thing, most physically painful thing that he could say about these Judaizers. But I think he was actually being uh, very intentional about why he says for them to castrate themselves. One, if, he's requiring, if these Judaizers are requiring other people to be circumcised in order to be with God, maybe he's being you know, facetious and saying, well, you guys want to have people circumcised? Go even further. Go on and castrate yourselves, cut it all off, and you'll be good, good, good. You'll be on top of the top. You'll be the best of the best if you do that. Go ahead and do it. But he also might be just kind of playing into some of the laws that Jewish people would have understood during that time. In Deuteronomy 23, I'm not going to read it, but in Deuteronomy 23, 1, you can read it on your own, it talks about um, what happens with somebody that's castrated. It talks about the isolation that they have to suffer, that they can't be in the presence of God, that they are excluded from the community in a lot of different ways. It's part of the kind of cleanliness laws and what is okay um, in terms of being in community uh, based on your actions and what happens to you. And so I would say that Paul is potentially even saying, if you castrate yourselves, 
great. Now you won't even have to be around all these different Jewish people. You can be isolated, and this could be the worst punishment for you ever, to be isolated from your faith as a Jewish person or your lifestyle as a Jewish person, and to not have the opportunity to preach this word that you've twisted again, to not be able to preach this again with any kind of audience. And so these harsh words are for the people that have deceived the Galatians. But Paul actually has some gracious words also. And I want to spend more time focusing on that for the rest of the sermon. We're past all the kind of really negative stuff. But focusing on the Galatians' call to be free. In verse 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be free? I would say that one of the things that we see in this passage is that freedom does not mean just doing whatever you want. Amen? Amen. I think we could, I hope we can agree on that. I feel like there's different people that may um, have struggled with this idea of, well, I'm free. I have the grace of God covering me. So now I can just go on doing whatever I want, living the same kind of life I used to live, and that's okay. But that is a lie. And we see that that even comes, that was even back then, during the time of the Galatians, during the time of the Romans, and all these different things. When Paul was preaching, that was still a lie that was already being formed in people's minds, that they could continue on sending the same ways because Jesus paid it all for them. And so let's say this together, or you can repeat after me. Christ bought our freedom, Christ our freedom. from sin. Not our freedom, not our freedom. To, sin. to sin. Let's say it together. Christ bought our freedom from sin, not our freedom to sin. Amen. Christ came so that we could see a better way in him and walk that better way. Not so that we could continue on with the ways of sin and death that we were saved from. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 6 verse 1 where Paul says, shall we go on sinning? Shall we go on sinning so grace may abound? Should we keep on sinning because God has shown us grace upon grace upon grace so that grace increases even more? The answer is no. So I'll keep saying it. I appreciate it. You can keep saying amen and, and all that stuff too. That's good. I appreciate it. When we are set free, our priorities and our allegiances are supposed to shift. There's supposed to be a change in who we are. We are fundamentally different people. We are no longer sinners, but we are saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are children of God. If our defining focus was getting money, now our, now our focus is Christ. Amen? Amen? If our focus was being the top of our class, now our focus is Christ. If our main focus was getting into relationships with the most beautiful, most handsome, whatever people in the world, now our focus is Christ. Amen. I'm kind of reminded of my own story of when I, you know, I went away to college at UFC for the first time. It was my first time away from my parents for any extended period of time, and I was so happy that I was free. <laughs> I love my parents. They're great parents. And... They were such great parents that they would make me eat a certain way. 
And they would make me, you know, eat vegetables. Those are good for you. You should eat vegetables. Eat your vegetables. Um, <laughs> but that was something that I was glad to be free from. Ooh. I was glad to be free from having to eat certain things. And when I went to the dining hall at UFC's campus, I saw that they had pizza every day. Every meal there were french fries and burgers and soda was just flowing from everywhere. <laughs> and ice cream, and I just lost my mind. I lost my mind. And that freedom started to feel less like freedom. Uh, once I gained that freshman 10, I didn't gain 15 pounds, thankfully, that year. But I gained about 10 pounds. And I felt the need to nail things down the way that my parents had initially taught me to eat and taught me to live my life. Amen? Amen. And I feel like that just kind of shows that even freedom that's, even if we are free, our freedom needs to be informed by wisdom to actually be good, real, true freedom. Amen? Amen. And God is the ultimate source of that wisdom. That's the call that Paul is giving the Galatians. Be free in Christ. Not be free and just do whatever you want. Be free in Christ and let Christ lead you in your freedom. The second thing that I see is freedom in Christ does not lead to oppression of the other. Freedom in Christ does not lead to oppression of the other. Our freedom that we have in God cannot lead us towards hurting others. Our freedom leads us away from selfishness and leads us towards seeing, God, seeing people the way that God sees people. Amen? Amen? In verses 13 and 14, Paul says, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are called to love our neighbor as an expression of freedom. Our neighbor is anybody that we come in contact with, anybody that um, we see on the street, anybody living next door to us, the people that are sitting right next to you. These people are your neighbors. Your neighbors are also the people that act stank towards you, the people that you don't like. Those people are your neighbors as well. You're still called to love them, to, to seek what's best for them, to declare freedom is available to them as well. Amen? That's the hard part of it all. The easy part is loving the people next to you, I feel like, the people that you're constantly seeing, your friends and your family. But God calls us to take it a step further and love even our enemies, even those that we don't like. Amen? Amen. Our freedom in Christ allows us to partner in God's work. This is the last point. Let's say that together. Our freedom in Christ allows us to partner in God's work. As people that know the one true and living God, we now seek the kingdom of God first. We see, that, we see those that are rejected and we stand with them. We hear the lies that are said and we tell truth instead, as Christ would do. We see people living in chaos and we bring peace, we call for peace, we do what we can to bring peace to those situations, to those people's lives. I think of an interview of one of my favorite musicians, someone who was very inspirational for me as I became a, jazz, a pianist and started singing a little bit and everything. Her name is Nina Simone. Um, 
And there was one time that an interviewer asked her, what would you say freedom is? As a black woman constantly facing oppression for both her gender and her ethnicity, Simone seemed to struggle with giving a clear answer. It seemed like she actually wanted to avoid the question. She turned it back on the interviewer. Oh, what would you say it is? She just seemed very uncomfortable. But finally, after thinking for a little bit, Simone got a big smile on her face and she said, oh my gosh, you know what freedom is? You know what freedom means to me? I'll tell you what, it means no fear. Freedom means no fear, is what she said. And it takes a slightly sad turn because she says the only time I actually experienced that were maybe a couple of times when I was playing and singing, when I was performing. No fear, no insecurities, no fears about who's going to threaten my life. I was just free. As Christians, I feel that that is the type of freedom that we should be experiencing every single day of our lives. And for a lot of us, for many of us, maybe even for most of us, that isn't the freedom that we're experiencing. But that's the freedom that Paul is calling the Galatians to, that the Word calls us to, that God is calling us to. We can be secure in our identity. We saying, you know, I know who I am, I know who I am, I am yours and you are mine. We are his children, he is our father. And we know that we can trust in him, that we can believe that he is standing with us in this fight, that we are uh, able to walk with him and know that he will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? Amen. Once we become Christians and children of God, we are freedom fighters. We are fighting for the freedom of the others around us, declaring to them this good news that saved us. You know, we sing this song, Break Every Chain, and we sing, There's an army rising up. Sing with me. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up to break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain. We are part of that army that we're declaring. We are the ones saying, freedom is here. We're going out on Cottage Grove, we're going out into our jobs, and we're saying, freedom is here. Come to Christ and be set free. My question to you today is, are you living in this freedom? If not, what's holding you back? What is holding you back? Is it some part of your past that you haven't confessed to anyone? Is it some, something even right now that you're struggling with that you just can't kick a certain habit? Or is there some certain lie that you have been told and it's just there in your memory and it's there in everything that you do? In the back of your mind telling you you aren't good enough or telling you you aren't actually free. What is it? Jesus Christ is opening his arms wide and he's saying, come my child and embrace the freedom that I won for you. By his nail-pierced hands, we're free. Amen? Amen. We know that our God stands with us and that he will never leave us. And that even the things that happen in this world, that happen in our day-to-day -day lives, 
Those things aren't the final say. Those things don't have the final say over who we are or what we've been called to be. We know that Jesus, our Redeemer, walks with us and as freedom fighters, children of the King, I pray that we would be able to celebrate that and that we would be able to give God praise with our entire lives, knowing that we were set free, that we're no longer in bondage. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. God, you are good. You're a great God. We praise you, our Father, our King, our Redeemer, because we know that we were once enslaved, God. We were once under a heavy yoke. We were once under a specific price that we couldn't pay. And we needed you to step in, God. We needed you to step in. And we're grateful that you did, Lord, that you showed us this grace, Lord, that you showed us mercy. God, we ask that you would help us to live in this freedom that you've given to us. Lord, I pray for all of us um, that may be here that aren't your children, Lord, that don't know who you are, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to be speaking to them even in this moment, God. Calling them, urging them to come home, to come back to the one who first made them, the one that knows them more than anyone else, God. You are calling them. And I pray that you would open their ears and their hearts to hear, to respond to you, God. Lord, I pray for all of us that know who you are, Lord, that are Christians, whether we've been Christians for years, from you know, as early as we can remember, or whether we're Christians starting just a year ago or something, God, we pray that you would remind us of this identity, Lord, that you would help us to be secure in our identity as free people. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to not slip back into those habits and those ways of living that are indicative of that slave mentality, that are indicative of being in slavery in that way. We are no longer slaves to sin, God, and we praise you, Lord. We praise you. We say hallelujah, Lord, and we give you all the glory and all the honor. May our lives be fruitful, Lord. May our lives be used as a sacrifice being offered to you, God in worship. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.